Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast. Today's topic is the coronavirus curfew. This is the episode for Tuesday, the 24th of March, 2020, and I'm your host, Fabian Scherschel, or just call me Fab for short. And I'm reporting from my studio here in Hamburg uh, under on the curfew, actually, locked in. And uh, yeah, got time time to do podcasts. Anyway, if I um, if I cough during this show, please excuse that. I'm coming down with something. Um, <laughs> it's probably not coronavirus. I had bit of shortness of breath yesterday which i usually never have but i don't i don't have any fever so i'm i'm guessing it's just the normal normal little rhinovirus um yeah so uh thanks for tuning in this is uh, of course an episode on tuesday normally i'm putting out episodes on wednesday but um i have decided um to do two episodes this week if i can uh, i hope i can um, this is mostly because, I mean, I talked about, um, on, on the last episode, I'd said that I really don't want to focus too much on the coronavirus situation and do some other podcasts, um, you know, do, do episodes on other topics. And, um, but I feel there's, there's so much happening and so fast and it's, it's so important for privacy as well that I really can't, can't, you know, cannot do a show about this and i think it's very important but i still want to give people um some other some other topics um you know I'm, I'm i completely understand if you have you know if you're locked in at home and you're going mad because everybody's just reporting on on this on this uh, covid19 thing so i want to give you some options so i th i thought i'll try to do two episodes a week uh so if everything goes according to plan i'll have another episode out on thursday or maybe friday um, on a, just a very different privacy topic. Yeah, so uh, that's that's pretty much where we stand. Um, I hope this works for you. Please let me know. Um, go to privatecitizen.press. There is, um, as usual, there are copious show notes on this episode, and there are links to contact me. I had asked... Um, in the discord um for like you know the, the hardcore supporters what they would like and if they think this idea is good and generally it was met met with um with positive uh responses there was one person who said well that's pretty much just too much coronavirus stuff going on and i completely understand that as well so but please let me know um because i have a feeling we'll have to talk about this topic more in the future i kind of feel working through these notes and preparing this episode today, I kind of feel like I started this podcast, I, you know, at a, by a complete accident at a very important time for privacy. Uh, because I feel, I feel like I, I started this podcast, said so in the first episode, because I feel like privacy is the next battleground. But I, I very much feel like, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely the next battleground now. I mean, this is, we are under attack privacy wise um in this in this in this crisis um and um it's it's kind of interesting now that i feel like i started the podcast right at the same at the right time just let me get a sip of tea here 
bit of Earl Grey to fight the coronavirus. You can probably hear my voice. I've got something. Um, <laughs> yesterday I was convinced it was coronavirus. My wife, who is a cell biologist and works in a hospital, was laughing at me. And I'm like, I probably got it from you because she works in the hospital where pretty much all the cases, it's like the big university hospital, the only one for like hundreds of kilometers around. And they're like the competence center or whatever they call it. And it's probably all the, pretty much all the Corona patients from Hamburg are there, but this only, I think they've got 13 people now. Uh, and I think, you know, most of them are not uh, on the ICU. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's get into the show. Um, what I, from now on, would like to call um, an essential podcast. Uh, this is something positive that came out of this whole coronavirus thing, because um, I was reading the uh, emergency lockdown order, like the shelter at home order of the uh, city of Los Angeles. Uh, this is for all of Los Angeles County. And in there, they basically say, stay at home and, you know, just go out for essential things. But the essential... Um, activities part of the ex essential activities that that are exempt where you can actually go outside are and i i was laughing very loud at this newspapers television radio magazine podcasts and other media services podcasts they mention podcasts by name we are an essential service now when i started uh when i started podcasting in 2006 uh, I would have never, <laughs> never thought that would ever be classed as like a, as an, as an essential service. Uh, but, but there you are. <laughs> uh, and with that, I thought I'd, at first I'd update you what happened since my last episode, uh, the last episode I did, um, where I talked about all this leg legislation in Germany. And of course, I'm still interested in what's going on in your neck, uh, in the woods, please. Send me an email or your know, tweet to add Fabsh, Foxford Alpha Bravo Sierra Hotel. Um, tell me, tell me what's going on where you are. I'm very interested in this. Now, in Germany, over the weekend, the German government, in an interesting, very, very interesting political process that I actually, once this whole madness is over, I will have to analyze how this went down, where basically the federal government, together with the federal state governments decided in a telephone conference um, that they will basically um, these like local curfew things are in the purview of the federal states and Bavaria had already passed an actual curfew um, but now they've the federal government has kind of um, uh, agreed with all the federal state governments on a list of things and they've passed what they call a Kontaktverbot. Verbot is very German, which means um, um, contact is outlawed. It's like, a, you know, they're, they're outlawing. Basically, it's a curfew. And this is very interesting because from a German perspective, and as you might know, if you'd listened to some of my podcasts in the past, um, I've, I studied... Uh, modern history at university and uh, especially a history of, of Germany, of uh, the Nazi regime, of the Kaiserreich before, uh, you know, Bismarck and all that. And um, in the history of the Federal Republic of Germany, for those who don't know, the Federal Republic of Germany was founded in 1949 after World War II, um, there was never a curfew. There, this is the first time this has happened. Um, there have been curfews in... Eastern Germany, 
you know, the uh, German Democratic Republic, um, which despite its name was a dictatorship, basically. Uh, it was a socialist um, socialist re regime, a one-party system, uh, where the uh, head of the party um, was the head of the state and had all of the power. Um, of course, only as long as the Russians um, were happy, the Soviets were happy, but... Um, they 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 had curfews especially after the war when the uh, gdr was was very new and there were like people insurrections and stuff like that but on the grounds of the federal like on where i we you know where i grew up federal republic of germany the last curfew that was in effect there was under um you know on, on under the allies so under the british and the french uh occupation um and the american occupation you know under the military law uh there were curfews uh, in effect back then now the rules the contact verbot that is in effect in germany now um there are the following rules um social contacts have to be reduced to a minimum that don't really explains what that means um this is very interesting you have to maintain at least a distance of one meter fifty in public at at all times I've never I've never seen a law uh, or a policy uh, or an edict that specified anything as ludicrous as that. Um, if you go out, you can do so alone or with one other person. Um, all gatherings of, of up to three persons are basically outlawed. There's an exception if you are out with your with the relatives or the people living in your household. So you basically can go out with your kids. Um, you're only supposed to go out for work or important appointments. Or because of an emergency. I guess, I don't know if their class producing a podcast is an emergency, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, keep quoting the LA County uh, order there. Uh, sports activities are allowed as long as you're alone, which I thought that that was very interesting, so I can still go out for a run. Uh, that is helpful, as long as I'm only running alone. Um, now, this whole thing is, is worded weirdly. Um, you know, I've studied, having studied politics and history, I've, I've read a lot of laws in my time, especially German laws or orders or stuff like that. And as within English, you know, if you, if you think about your local le le legislation, um, they're always worded very specifically. There's a kind of language you have, you know, there's like a, a legal language and it's the same in English as it would be in German. And this law is not very much within that. Well, I don't even know if it's actually a law. It's like really hard to find out. But this document or these these edicts are not worded in that language, which kind of makes me think that the government kind of knows that some of the stuff they're doing is actually questionable and especially under under constitutional scrutiny would probably not hold up. So the social contacts have reduced be reduced to minimum is one example because that doesn't really specify um that is nothing the police could could enforce um there's also a the, the next point is that parties as in having fun basically are unacceptable and that's a direct quote they are unacceptable um unacceptable um even in private now this is because they put that in there because if you if i talk to people who are like in the cool parts of hamburg uh people are everybody's at home and they're just having parties now in the evening like they work little uh, and they just have parties now. The, the, the police wants to crack down on that. But this unacceptable is nothing that you can enforce. I mean, they could put that in the law and, and then the police comes along and I have, I'm having a party in my house. And they're like, that's unacceptable. And I'm like, okay, 
that's nice to hear. Deal with it, right? And this is because they can't enforce this because, um, you know, the German, uh, the Grundgesetz Constitution basically says, so the police can't enter my premises uh, if I don't let them in without a valid, they basically need a warrant from a judge. So if they, if they hear like there's a party going on, they knock on my door. I open the door like a crack and they're like, can we come in? I'm say, And I say, no. They're like, this sounds like there's a party going on. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, there's not a party going on. I can just close the door. I don't have to let them in. So they cannot enforce this. And it's ludicrous. I mean, they're forbidding parties, not forbidding them, they're unacceptable, but they're forbidding them in private. I mean, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it's very German, though. You're not allowed to have fun. Um, then, you know, specified something that, that was already in that order. Um, I analyzed in episode seven, uh, you know, Hamburg, the order that's in effect in the federal state of uh, Hamburg. Uh, restaurants and food producing places basically are closed. Uh, only takeaways allowed. So in Hamburg right now, um, restaurants that have like a takeaway facility, uh, like a basically a, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know, somewhere where you can go and you can just order. You just, you can go there and you can take your food away. You're just not allowed to, you know, sit down there. Not allowed to do that. Um, any personal hygiene services are closed, um, except for services that are a medical necessity. So that's hairdressers and stuff like that. And, uh, and then the last uh, point is also very interesting. Employers have to implement, quote, all hygiene rules, or depending on how you translate it, all hygiene procedures, and have to provide for, quote, adequate pro protection. Now, this adequate thing is a thing you find in law pretty much often, um, because that is usually... Um, then left up to a judge or something, you know, and there's like other other texts and other laws where like that's specified. But these all hygiene rules or hygiene procedures, no, I have no idea what that means. It doesn't even point to any any specifics. I guess they mean like the Robert Koch Institute has given out, you know, like the CDC some basic rules how to deal with, you know, COVID and stuff like that. Um, but it, all in all, this very interestingly written. Um, I'm I'm very suspect of the way this law. Oh, I don't know even if it, is it is it a law? What is it? How is how does this how how do, how did the passing of this um fit into our uh our political system that we have in Germany? Because now now normally this would be under the purview of the federal states, and they would decide that. And they would not ask the federal government and the federal government is not, it's not the place of federal government to give input in that. So the German federal system works like this. Something in law is either the, the purview of the federal states or the federal government. So if it's education, every federal state decides for themselves. Hamburg decides, North Rhine-Failure decides, Bavaria decides. And the federal government has no people that do education policy because it's not it's not what they do it's not in their um like the 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 voter hasn't given them the authority to do that they don't have the authority for that so this whole thing to me is extremely weird and it's it's all feels like very ad hoc and it feels like there's if this if this whole thing ever stops, if the madness ever stops and everything goes back to normal, this feels like something political scientists and, and you, you know scholars like um, 
constitutional scholars and people should definitely have a look at how this came to pass. Now, this whole thing, I've written a, uh, a column about this in German over the weekend. Um, this whole thing gave me one epiphany that I've never had while I studied history and politics. And you might listen to this and think, well, why did that never occur to you? Because hindsight is twenty twenty. But this is really something that opened my eyes in the last week. Because I realized that you can have a democracy, you know, a parliamentary democracy, you have can have a constitution, you can have all these laws, you can have civil rights for the citizens, and you can have um, balance of checks and balances, balance of power. Um, but in the end, basically the government can do whatever they want, at least in the moment, right? Until, you know, like... The, the constitutional court is involved and that takes years and whatever, but or at least months. In the moment, they can do whatever they want as long as they have the people on their side. And what I find a little bit worrying in this case is I talked to somebody today uh, on the phone and we talked a little bit about this. And somebody I don't really know, it's just a colleague, um, you know, somebody I'm at some publication I'm writing for. Um, but, uh, she seemed really nice and I, um, we, we just talked about stuff and the, the thing we, we both basically agreed on is that you can't really tell right now if, so the government says all the people are behind these measures. And if you look on Twitter and you look on social media, it's overwhelmingly the case that people support this. But as I know from personal experience, if you write anything, against that you immediately shout it down you have no chance it's like i literally had like 50 people pile on to me because i wrote something where i said maybe we should think about this and i didn't even say the measures are wrong it's basically like i said in the last podcast um i was basically like i don't know if these measures are right but i think we should think about it. you get immediately shouted down so how would we know um how would we even voice our dissent with what the government is doing right now because we're not allowed to gather in public and I don't think social media is a good um, indication for how the people actually feel. Because obviously the press, I mean, I've talked about this uh, from the beginning, the press has covered this very one-sidedly. I think not only in Germany, pretty much from what I read from the UK and the US, it's the same thing. The press is saying we must... We must... That's what the press is saying, and everybody seems to agree. Now, I don't think that is necessarily the case that everybody agrees. Um, I feel like whenever I actually talk to people, which is hard because you can't meet them in the street anymore, but basically when I talk to people on the phone, I hear, I just hear from people who think all of this is, is, is overblown. Maybe it's my filter bubble, but um, I just feel like it's really weird. Um, anyway, there will be it, this will be something we can analyze later on in um, in greater detail. Now, one thing I I want to do now is I want you to bring some context to these rules that have been passed. And I said last episode that I don't really want to go. Last episode, I didn't really want to go into the weeds of what this disease is and how it works. I think we have to do that a little bit today because I I feel like it's very very pertinent to what I'm doing here because basically what I'm saying is questioning 
Um, so I'm, I'm giving you the, and as, as usual with my podcast, I want you to, you know, you don't have to agree with me. It's okay. Think for yourself, do your own research, please do that. And then tell me your producers on this show, write to me, tell me if you don't think I'm right, because I don't want to be in a filter bubble and I don't want to be like the social media thing I've just criticized. I want to foster with the few people that are listening to the show. I want, want to foster a situation and, a atmosphere where we can freely talk to each other without being triggered um now i think because i'm critic criticizing these measures a little bit not only explaining them and analyzing them i think we need to understand why and i need to put some context about what this disease actually is and before i want to go into that i want to make one thing very clear some of this is going to sound really cold-hearted um and whenever i talk about this and i talk about people dying i please i want to divorce this is we're talking on a society wide level right now i want to divorce this from actual from the actual tragedy you know if somebody who's close to you dies that is horrible i mean i have in my surroundings my grandmother is 98 she's in the prime risk category for this I have very close people to me who I, you know, you take immune immunosuppressant drugs um, who are in the risk category. I know what it feels like to be afraid for these people. Um, and I, it is horrible if somebody close to you dies. But what we're doing here is we're talking about this. I mean, we're talking about laws and we're talking about basically um, subjecting the whole citizenship of a country currently the whole planet basically um in every country to to certain laws and we need to see that on a society-wide level and to do that we need to look at this disease i think like health professionals do like doctors right if you're treating patients you have to divorce yourself from this tragedy and if you ever talk to doctors who worked in emergency rooms um you will realize this. I mean, they talk over dinner about the horrible ways people have died um, out of curiosity because they're like, okay, so today we had this guy come in and he like had like a drill bit in his head and I've never seen this and we tried to re rescue his life and he died. And then they explain to you how, how much blood there was and how they died and like completely emotionless. Because if you do that job, that's the only way you can do that job. If you can't do that, you, will, you won't last in that job, basically. And this is the same thing. I think if you're an epidemiologist and if you're studying this kind of thing, you, at some level, you have to look at this um, without emotion. That doesn't mean um, I don't have those emotions. That doesn't mean I am I don't want to have those emotions. I have them. I'm just trying to... If you're trying to decide on a society-wide basis what we should do, I think doing that on the basis of the emotions is bad. Same as if, if you're an emergency doctor and you have to triage people in your horrible situations. If you do that on an emotional basis, that is bad. And that's why it gets drilled out of these people. So I just wanted to say that that's basically where I'm coming from. So, and I'm, I feel like I can't breathe because I'm a hypochondriac. <laughs> quick earl gray my my theory is earl gray and zinc will kill this virus <laughs> um so let's see this lockdown um in, in a little bit of a context so in germany right now this is the numbers from last night 
Um, there are 27,436 officially diagnosed COVID-19 cases. This is according to lab tests. So this is not the quick test. This is like PCR lab tests. And according to the official Robert, uh, data from the Robert Koch Institute, the RKI, this is uh, what I talked about in episode number seven. And I explained why they have this data and how. Now, of these 27,436, 113 people have died. That is about as many people, a little bit more than, for context, died in the in this horrible uh, train accident, the Eschede ICE derailment in 1998. So that's about the number we're talking about right now. Um, by by comparison, based on data from the middle of this month, also from the Robert Koch Institute, uh, the current seasonal influenza epidemic in Germany uh, stands at 145,000 confirmed cases and 247 people dead. So we have coronavirus, 27,000. 400 infections, influenza, 145,000 infections. Coronavirus, 113 people dead, influenza, 247. By that, you can already tell that uh, coronavirus is probably more deadly than influenza from that data, from that basis. But it also tells you that influenza so far has killed more people in Germany. And then just another statistic in 2019, for example, 3,059 people died in car crashes in Germany. So that's still something we are very far away from. I'm just saying that because when, you know, providing you with this context, because when, when Germany passed this, when they, on the weekend, when they agreed on these, uh, on these, uh, curfew laws, uh, Chancellor, Angela Merkel said that this is this situation is the worst challenge in the history of the Federal Republic of Germany. It's the worst, the, the the hardest challenge this country has had since World War II. And if you think about what happened in Germany since World War II, there's a lot of stuff that has happened: terrorism, um, natural disasters, uh, floods. Uh, snow disasters, uh, airplane crashes, uh, train crashes, all this kind of stuff. You know, we had we had nuclear bombs on both sides of the borders, all of that. Now she's saying this is the worst challenge. Um, I think we can say that based on the data we have, not what we think is going to happen, what we have right now, that is not true. Um, I mean, more people die from influenza I and mean, when this influenza season this year is not even as bad as they come um, com comparatively. So right now we have twice as many people dead from influenza than from coronavirus. So right now it's definitely not the worst challenge. I know what she's saying. She's basing that on projections. Um, but, you know, they're just projections. Not, this is not based on, on facts. So let's look at some facts, I thought. Um this whole, I mean, I think I've touched on this last episode. The problem with this whole thing is we have not a lot of reliable data because, I mean, a lot of the early data comes from China, which is a dictatorship. Uh, you know, we know we can't trust them. They're, the government is routinely engaging propaganda. We know this. Uh, we probably can't trust their numbers. Um, 
And then there's all like there's all these differences in tests, like who gets tested? What tests do they use? Did they do a PCR? Did they do one of these antibody tests, which are wildly inaccurate? So basically, they can tell you by a pretty much 100% accuracy if this person has coronavirus, but it can't tell you that they're not infected, um, right? Because there are just the stage of the disease, like the way a virus works in your body there are points where your body doesn't have antibodies yet uh, and there are points where they're gone again and some of the tests don't can't pick them up in a certain you know in a, in a at a certain level so you basically can if that test says this this guy has coronavirus you're you're pretty sure that they have it but if the test says it doesn't have it doesn't mean they don't have it also doesn't mean they're not infectious all that kind of stuff so if you run the PCR, that's pretty easy. So what a PCR is, just very quickly, what they're doing is this is an RNA virus. Um, and what a PCR does is basically um, you take a sample um, of cells, basically you, you, you get like the, it, it, it looks for a certain piece of RNA in there and then just duplicates that a lot, like pff, hundreds of thousands of times. And, it attaches like a little every time it it copies like this RNA, it just attaches a little um a little uh, gene sequence to it, and that does stuff. Usually it's like stuff that like glows green in the dark. And then if you make you make lots of that that RNA and then you actually have a sample that if you put like ultraviolet light on it, it glows. Um and so that's that's very reliable. If if that RNA is in there and if the test works, they had some issues at the beginning where, you know, for this PCR to work, you need a test. You basically need a positive sample of the virus. They were shipped from China and there were lots of issues in the beginning in the, in the US where the, the, the PCR kits didn't work apparently. So, um, so those PCR tests are very reliable, but you don't know what kind of tests they use for a lot of this data. Then there's like... How, they always have limited tests. How did who did they test? For example, in Italy, they tested everybody who died of a of a lung-based thing during this during the outbreak, which means they have lots of dead people with coronavirus in their numbers. Um, which means they tested um from the limit from you know, if you have a certain amount of tests, from that they tested many people who were already dead. Which of of course means in your test sample your fatality rate goes up, because in Germany, for example, where they tested a lot of people who are still alive, some of those might then test negative, and some of those, a lot of those might not die. Um, so your the the rate of people that are dead within your sample is a lot lower. Um, so it's hard to um, it's hard to compare, and it's like I don't know if they will ever sort this out. I mean, if you ever have a study how this like epidemiologically how this spread it's it's going to take months and years and to sort all this testing and this chaos out will be hard i don't want to be the guy who's doing that study but it's going to be very important now i'm saying all of this because i there's a study here that uh, the the frz uh, the german uh, frankfurter allgemeine zeitung wrote about and which is very interesting because it was done by the oh god let me not butcher this instituto superiore di sanita or the iss which is not the space station it's internet italy's national health institute um and they did a study of 2000 people who died 
from in this region in the Lombardy region, where basically in the middle of January, this whole outbreak, this is where the, the, the worst outbreak is. This is where all the people are dying in Italy. Um, this is from where it spread to like the, the ski resorts where all the, pretty much everybody who's infected in Germany came from one of these ski resorts because they were all on ski holiday. Um, and so they, they, they looked at 2000 people who had died, who were, um, um, confirmed had SARS-CoV-2 and have died. Now, so this, this is an interesting study because these samples are very comparable. They're from the same region and they all use the same, you know, they're the world people who died. Now, of these people, 99% of them had existing health problems. Of these 2,000 fatalities, three, three, three people had no history of serious prior health issues. That's 0.8%. Um, 48.5% had three health issues, 25.6% had two prior health issues, and 25.1% had a single prior health issue. More than three-fourths of people in the study had high blood pressure. One-third had diabetes, and one-third had some kind of heart disease. Now, this is the killer. The average age of the people who died in this that were looked at in this study was 79 and a half years. The average age. Average age. I mean, a lot of them were older. Um, the cohort of people most in danger, according to this, is people between 80 and 90 years old. I mean, it's all old people, basically. Um, there's then some additional insight if uh, that was reported alongside with this by the ISS. Um, this is based on all cases they had up to this. This is like, I don't know, three or four, four days old um, that they had. So, so in all fatal cases that were confirmed in Italy until the 17th of March, which is last week, only 17 people were under 50 years of age. 17 people out of like, I don't know, 5,000 dead at that point. Um, so about 70% of the fatalities were male. This should be great consolation to all the feminists out there. <laughs> um, and everybody under 40 who died in Italy, everybody, uh, was male and had a serious previous health issue. That's either a cardiovascular disease, kidney problems, or serious diabetes. All of those 17 people. Now, very interestingly, um, only they only tested about 300 kids uh, have been tested positive in Italy. So you can already see, you know, which people they're testing. Um, but of these 300 kids they tested positive, there was not a single case where they had serious health issues. So it looks like, so the ISS, the, uh, the, the National Health Institute in Italy is saying um, that these kids often don't have serious symptoms at all or no symptoms at all, uh, but they're all infectious. And the uh, Italian doctors in the in the epicenter of the outbreak, they're basically suspecting that uh, many of the kids infected like their grandparents, you know. So if you look at China and Italy, where the, the countries where most people died, um, they both have significantly older parts of the population. And both countries have one thing in common, just sociologically. Um, they have like the older generation 
often lives in the same household with with younger you know they're they're revered there they're treated well um they all live in a household and they often look after the kids and this this might be an early indicator we don't know yet it, i mean as i said the data is very sketchy but this looks like uh this points to something whereas in germany uh our, we put our old people in like old folks homes right and then we visit them once a month or something that's i think that's that's the standard they're generally not living i mean there's other um there's other uh it's of course this is of course generalized you know that there, there are other situations but they're generally not living in household i mean my grandmother is 98 and she she has her own flat she lives in a special it's a special building like it's not an old folks home it's like a it was built for older people it has special you know it has like these alert buttons in bathroom and all this kind of stuff but it's it's just a normal housing it's just a normal flat it's just built for you know to accommodate older people um so that that is i found that very interesting so what we can take from that preliminary data but i think the study is pretty good because it's comparable that these people are all old and they all have serious health issues and we're talking about people who are over 80 and have cardiovascular disease right my wife does research on cardiovascular disease these are the they these are the people who die they they die anyway i mean it's normally you're not even it's it's if you're male and you have cardiovascular disease and you're over 80 years old you're already basically cheated death like just from the statistic you probably should be dead already um and these are all like these are all the normal um risk factors what people die from when they're old cardiovascular disease kidney failure diabetes probably overweight um so i don't want to say these people are walking dead already <laughs> that's not what i mean but basically they were extremely high risk already without this virus and i read a very interesting um article from a german economist who said there's there's gonna come a point when the general population is not gonna take this this come point is gonna come from pretty soon the general population will rebel against this curfew thing because they um it's 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 wrecking the economy and he's basically saying he was proposing to stop the general curfew get everybody back to work and just isolate and protect high-risk individuals older people high-risk individuals isolate them basically basically don't isolate all of society just isolate the high-risk people let other people work which would be good for the economy because as you can see the people most at risk they don't hold down jobs they're old most of them i mean there's other people um you know immunodeficient people stuff like that i get that but generally uh why not just isolate the old people who are at home anyway and let all the other people work um of course uh he got a lot of shit for that got chowed down um immediately but i don't think it's a bad idea because basically what he's saying he's saying he was you know he was attacked for being cold-hearted and stuff he basically said the same thing um there's an interview i put in the show notes this german link but if you're german it's interesting to read it's an interview with him 
after the fact where he basically explains what he was saying and he's basically at the same disclaimer as me we're saying i'm not cold-hearted i'm looking at this from a perspective of the whole economy and you've got to realize that this is already this is already worse than the crash in 2008 and our economy had just now just recovered from that crash and this is gonna you know if we place everybody on lockdown for the next few months this is gonna basically create a dent in the economy that's going to be felt for decades to come this is going to be they're going to be bankruptcies because of that um they're going to be bailouts from the government I mean, they already announced like 40 billion dollars in uh, euros in, in germany alone for like people like me freelancers and stuff like that i mean that money's got to come from somewhere that's going to be is a record deficit they're already planning for this you know that that's going to be taken from somewhere else there's going to be unemployed people and all of this will have negative consequences on the social systems it'll have long term it'll have uh i mean we have a really good health system in germany um national health care which is pretty much i think why i mean there's lots of articles right now why are the germans you know why the why do they resist this this spread this outbreak so well i think i think one of the points is that we're actually very uh obedient to authority and when they say stay inside stay the fuck inside we'll actually do that which is not something like in southern europe people do so easily but then also i think we have a very good healthcare system and in comparison our hospitals are very well prepared especially if you compare them to to italy i mean lots of people are saying they're not prepared enough and they'll be overwhelmed that's why we need to but i mean that's yes that could be true i'm not saying that's not true but that's a theory at this point um but i mean back to the point i think the problem is this this will this will seriously impact those healthcare systems in the future because if you're unemployed and you're not paying into that there's there's going to be money that the government's going to be missing and interestingly our um our health minister who was uh, was often praised now for for the german coronavirus response in middle of february he was saying we need more we need to be uh how did he how did he say that uh we need to be more brave with just closing down hospitals we need to close down more hospitals because our healthcare system is too expensive and i just feel like instead of having a curfew i'm with this guy i'm with this economist guy um i think we should let you know we should protect the vulnerable people we should make sure that our healthcare system can take it okay it's pretty kind of hard in hindsight but our you know our um health minister should now be worrying about and he should be talking about what we could do for the next outbreak because the next outbreak will come i mean that's that's the other thing about flatten the curve which i find sorry sorry flatten the curve! which i find uh a bit idiotic because i've been reading about pandemics and about um viruses and you know i've I've got very interested in in uh university into ebola and i was reading about that and i was oh my god influenza is so much worse by the by the fact people are dying read all all about this and i read a lot of papers in the last 20 years from the cdc and you know in nature and in science from you know new england journal just about um epidemiology and what they kind of project was going to come and how how we can uh defend against that and Flatten the curve, which somebody came up with. Re- sorry, flatten the curve, which somebody just recently came up with. I have no idea who doesn't 
is not included in that. Um, you have these graphs where you basically see the, um, uh, you know, the, the 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 graph where you see the exponential spread, and then how you can flatten that, which I guess this is where it comes from. Um, but those generally, so before all of this, if you read the, at least what I know from the, from the the research I done back years ago, um, if you if you read all the scientific material on this. And what the WHO was saying and what the uh, uh, CDC was saying, you could basically categorize viruses um, and viruses that have the potential to go uh, global and be a pandemic or whatever into two um, categories. And the first category is something like Ebola, which is either very deadly or not as infectious or both. And the approach to containing that has always worked in the past. You know, in Africa, they just closed down the village. It sounds heartless, but that's how they stopped it. They closed down the, the village where it was breaking out. And then everybody in that village died. And then it couldn't, you know, then you waited for two weeks. And then, you know, just send in people in hazmat suits to dispose of the bodies. And then it couldn't spread anymore. So the, the defense against those viruses is contain them as early as possible and then you know let it go through whatever population you've contained and then just create a point where either where you have a pop a, a, you know a population that you've contained where either everybody's now immune because they had it or they're dead um but that never worked for the other category of virus which would i guess is something like influenza which isn't as deadly um, but even if it was as deadly, you know, that was always the worry. If we ever get like a, a virus that is deadly as Ebola, but can be spread by um, aerosol, you know, by, by mist, um, like, like influenza and like this coronavirus, um, then, then we're like basically dead. But those viruses also have a very long um, dormant phase. You know, that's why influenza spreads around the globe every year and there's new strains. We can't stop it. I mean, you you can stop it if you do very early. They basically did that with H1N1, but the point was basically if you can't do that and if it's out, and with coronavirus we are now at a point where every expert says it's out. You can't contain it anymore. It, there's no way we can contain this. Um, and so this new thing, um, I mean, is aimed at basically not overwhelming our healthcare systems. You know to to get the rate of people that are infected every day lower so that we don't have so many serious cases at once so our hospitals can cope. And I get that. Um, but that will not stop the virus. I mean, if you look at the projections and if you think about it, what that is likely going to do is it's going to flatten the cur curve out a lot and it just means that will it will not be go through the population in a few months it will probably be there for years um because you have people uh you, you know that are not infected that, that if you don't get a vaccine quick enough they don't have uh because they're not infected or they were not infected that then they're, they're not resistant and then you have it just spread among those people just much more slowly and all these <laughs> graphs um are pretty dumb because you have this like if you look at the graph it's like this this graph that everybody shares on twitter it's like the um it's like the curve 
and it's exponential growth and then they flatten it but at the end it always goes down to zero and i guess yes it's an exponential curve so yeah okay but it will not go down to zero it will not go down to zero until, like, if you ask everybody, Robert Koch Institute says, it will be, this This will be a bad outbreak till August, at least. Um, this will not probably, I mean, at some point it will go down to zero, but, I mean, that could take years. Um, so what we're doing right now is we're spreading that out, and we, yes, we don't have, we, we can prevent some people from dying, but also we will basically saturate we'll 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 just draw this crisis out and have create problems for our healthcare systems for the next months years we don't know and i don't know that's just an just an approach that i i i think i don't know i think maybe the flatten the curve thing is right maybe that is completely correct but I think we need to have at least have this discussion. We're not having this discussion right now. On a side note, by the way, because I spoke of the World Health Organization earlier, you know when they declared COVID-19 a pandemic, the interesting thing is that COVID-19 is only classed as a pandemic now because the WHO changed the classification of what a pandemic is a month prior to the H1N1 influenza. So that was in 2009. You know, through that outbreak, before that, they changed the definition of a pandemic. Before that, their website said an influenza pandemic occurs when a new influenza virus appears against which the human population has no immunity, resulting in several simultaneous, epi simultaneous epidemics worldwide with enormous numbers of deaths and illness. And this resulting, they, they crossed that out. So now their definition is just... Uh, when a new influenza virus appears against which the human population has no immunity. By that definition, we're going to have a pandemic every like 10 years or something. Like these viruses pretty much appear. I mean, there's like the influenza one appears regularly because there's, there's one virus, uh, influenza A, uh, which keeps changing the um, molecules that are on the outside by which your body detects it. So you, you get it, you know, you get infected or you get a flu shot. And what that does is it trains your body uh, to produce these antibodies. And they are like, you know, to simplify it, they're like puzzle pieces that fit into the, they're like these little knobs on the outside of the virus. And they're like these mirrored or like um, uh, ne negative puzzle, you know, they fit into that. And then there's like, basically they tag this virus particle with, with a molecule and then your body just goes and, you know, your immune cells just kill everything that has that molecule on it now this influenza a virus changes these little knobs on the outside which means that every few years uh, we have no immunity anymore and that's how the influenza pandemics happen they will keep happening forever um, now interestingly in that text they also like basically say so before 2009 um, the world health organization basically said that you know, when they projected what a really bad, like an epidemic would look like, they say uh, epidemiological models project that in industrialized countries alone, so industrialized countries alone, the next pandemic is likely to result in 57 to 132 million outpatient visits and 1 million to 2.3 million hospitalizations and 280,000 to 650,000 deaths over less than two years. So you can you can see how far we are currently away from that definition of a pandemic 
that the World Health Organization once used, which they have now changed. Um, I mean, coronavirus could get to that, but like, we are now like what three months into uh, into um, almost like four months into the first year, and we have like, I don't know, what was it now, seventeen thousand deaths worldwide, I think. I mean, and we'll we have to get up to two hundred and eighty thousand in two years, two point three million hospitalizations. Hmm. I mean, it could happen, but it's like the the interesting thing is, of course, if um, you will not you will not be able to tell if it worked in hindsight because people will say, yeah, like, uh, and then you will be hard. It'll be hard to tell if that worked and how bad the virus was because people will say, yeah, so it wasn't that bad, but that's only because we flattened the curve. Um, Which is interesting. Now, why are we talking about this on a privacy podcast? Um, We are talking about this on a privacy podcast because all of this, um, and I, I talked a little bit about this in the last episode, it just leads to privacy problems and you have now all these people coming out of the woodwork which always happens when you have a crisis um who want to use that crisis to for what reason you know maybe they produce a technology who knows maybe just like spying on people to reduce our you know personal rights and to I don't know, enact, you know, get the get the uh, dystopian police state uh, finally f- to happen. I don't know what it is, but it's 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 definitely happening. Um, and I mean, you can you can see how that goes. Like if you look a bit back and just if you just think back 20 years to September 11th and just, Im- just think about what kind of like the response we got from that and the 20 years of ridiculous security theater uh we have to have to end every time we fly with a plane um there you know all of that all that bullshit that is 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 proven not to work uh, <laughs> but we still like our rights are being curtailed and people are like yeah i guess the, you know uh terrorism is so scary so we're okay with that and then just think about how many actual terrorist attacks were there in these 20 years um what kind of rights we've given up how how they've been curtailed whenever you fly for example and how many how how many of uh how many terrorist attacks have been prevented because of that and that's the same thing that's now clearly is now going to happen again by the way speaking of flying um just very quickly i know i'm running way too long with this podcast but i just fuck it it's gonna happen um if you read all of the the emergency response stuff from the from cdc before this coronavirus outbreak they always said in these cases you just need to shut down international travel close down all the airports and that's the only way you can that's the way the only chance we can contain that or at least try to contain it and that of course didn't happen right they didn't do that no no direct too late or whatever and now we're all locked in our homes because of that anyway i'm speaking about what's going on with our privacy now so we already have israel 
they're now tracking all of the citizens by monitoring their mobile phones um reading here from the guardian israel's government has approved emergency measures to track people suspected or confirmed suspected you know suspected or confirmed to have been infected with the coronavirus by monitoring their mobile phones immediately raising privacy concerns in the country um the cabinet and Anonymously approved the use of the technology developed initially for counterterrorism purposes. This is a Mossad technology, right? This is counterterrorism. This is spying. This is from an intelligence service to spy on their own citizens um, in the early hours of Tuesday morning, of course, in the middle of the night. Um, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu first raised the issue during the weekend said authorities would use the data to notify people who may have come into contact with someone infected and there's stories on Reddit already with, you know, the SMS messages people get. And um, Netanyahu said the cyber monitoring would be in effect for 30 days. Quote, Israel is a democracy and we must maintain the balance between civil rights and the public's needs, Netanyahu said. These tools will very much assist us in locating the sick and stopping the virus from spreading. So his definition of the balance is just pushing it. That's how balance works, right? You push everything to one side. Um, using emergency powers, he bypassed what would typically be a process of approval by Israeli's parliament, the Knesset. It had looked likely a parliamentary subcommittee would have delayed the rollout. With other words, hey, we're a democracy, so, but I'm bypassing all this. With emergency laws! Because this is an emergency. Unbelievable. And of course, Israel isn't alone uh, going on in this Guardian story. Several countries have used technology to digitally track the virus's spread, although with different degrees of invasiveness. Iran has been accused of asking people to download an app allegedly to help identify the coronavirus symptoms, but instead it collected data. China expanded its already intense mass surveillance with telecom operators tracking people's movement while companies have rolled out facial recognition technologies. So absolute police state nightmare. In South Korea, the government sent messages out to the public that detail the movements of people who have recently been diagnosed with the virus. They were infected uh, they were intended sorry intended to help identify new cases and those of risk but have often served to expose embarrassing personal information while the texts do not give names they share gender and age details in some cases amateur sleuths have been able to ascertain if others may have been involved in affairs or paying for sex depending on their movements i mean we've talked about this uh, in this very young podcast of several episodes where we talked about how anonymizing or pseudonymizing this data is absolute bullshit how location data is inherently you know even if you release other stuff metadata like age and stuff you're able to often tell who the person is and we see that now in full effect um yeah and this is like everybody's coming out of the woodwork all the all the people coming out of the woodwork everybody who likes police states so uh, we have a story on the register here with uh, WHO official um, tra tracking and limiting the movements of overseas travelers and others suspected to be COVID-19 coronavirus carriers has proven an essential tool in controlling the pandemic. That's according to Professor Marie-Louise McLaws, a technical advisor to the World Health Organization's in to the World Health Organization's Infection Prevention and Control Global Unit. Professor McLaws said that in Singapore, pretty much a police state, by the way, if you've ever been to Singapore, uh, I mean that you, you get like locked, you get like locked in jail for littering. 
Um, those who may have been exposed to the novel coronavirus, particularly those returning from overseas, were subject to stay-at-home notices or stay-home notices that required them to self-isolate for 14 days. Confirmed patients were hospitalized, we note. To enforce the stay-at-home notices, officials told people to enable location services on their smartphones and periodically click on a link sent by SMS. That link reported their location, confirming they were in fact staying at home. Messages must be responded to in a short period of time to prevent people cheating by leaving their phones behind while they venture outside. Let that sink in. This is the government requiring you to use a mobile phone and then to be tracked. You can't even turn your phone off. What happens if somebody doesn't have a smartphone? I mean, this is the government requiring you to turn your cell phone on and be tracked. Remember when we talked about episode three about that Supreme Court order? You know, the Carpenter decision where they basically said tracking people by mobile phones, having them all like basically with those um, foot bracelets where you basically convicted criminals get that when they get enforced house arrest. Like, and you're doing this with your whole population? Well, quoting from the story a little bit further. McLaws, great name, by the way. That sounds like a, like a, I don't know, McLaws. It's like a fast food restaurant for shitty laws. <laughs> uh, McLaws is happy with this approach because the data she's, she's seen suggests the majority of COVID-19 cases can be traced to international travelers. I mean, yeah, sure. That's why the CDC wanted to close down all the airports. Um, or those who have come into contact with international travelers. Ensuring those people stay away from the general population for two weeks would stem the further spread of the virus. Quote, I like technology and I'm surprised that we're not using it to the, uh, on the group who are at highest risk, international travelers, who are not being checked that they are actually, uh, and who are not being checked that they're actually self-isolating. Yeah, you know why we're not doing this? Because constitution we live in a constitutional democracy we have civil rights have you heard of those hello hello unbelievable Unbe so i mean this is full of bullshit who are at highest risk no international travelers are not of, uh, of highest risk unless they are 90 or 80 and are male and have a pre-existing condition she works for the fucking world health organization Sorry, just that just that makes me. I just these people are idiots. They are dumb. They don't see what they're doing. Like if you know, there are no calls. Um, so this is a foreign policy, but uh, foreign policy the uh, magazine. But they're basically calling for mandatory testing now. You know, because of South Korea. You know, you can read a bit. I have some more links in shows how Singapore f flattened the curve basically by flattening people's freedoms um and then south korea of course you know they have tested a lot of people but they're basically they did mandatory testing and um in uh in in foreign policy here they say rather than thinking they know best the u.s and uk governments should be listening and learning from other countries and the world health organization and realizing that east asian nations are now leading the way yeah they're leading the way but they're fucking Police states, we're talking about, in some cases, actual dictatorships here. Are people, do they not see what is happening here? I mean, if we praise, if we praise, 
you know, governments like China for threatening the Kurds. Yeah, we're basically praising a dictatorship for using its powers effectively. I mean, people who know me on my previous podcast, they will laugh because there's this in joke we had on Linux Outlaws on then on later on Geek News Radio where it was basically like time to first Hitler. And yeah, I mean, this is not overblown. It's basically like saying Hitler was very effective in restoring Germany's infrastructure after World War One. I. I mean, that is correct. You can say that. It is completely correct. But it absolutely fails to address like the humanitarian problems that were inherent in that, you know, like forcing people to work, you know, forcing parts of the population to work. It's the same here. Yes, China was probably very effective at flattening the curve, but also they locked everybody in, spied on everybody, uh, had drones flying around the, the street who would snitch you out, then the police would come and basically batten you to a pulp and drag you to a hospital. I mean, you can do that. It's probably very, very effective in 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 you know, helping with this virus not spreading. But the question is, like, do we still have laws, as, uh, you know, rights as citizens? Do we still have freedoms? And are we doing this um, based on, like, you know, not even a percent of the population who is over 80, who is at risk, yes, and who we should protect. But, like, like where where do you draw the fucking line? Line has to, be, has to be drawn somewhere. And, I mean, it's going on in Germany right now. I mean, in Germany, we're the country where we're very, very sensitive towards privacy issues. I mean, I remember, like, about 10 years ago, the huge outcry about Google um, Street View and, like, oh, my God, Google is taking pictures of the outside of your house. That was a huge outcry in Germany. That was, like, People were up in arms about that because Google took a picture of the outside of your house, right? Now they're tracking, they want to track you and they basically don't uh, force you to keep your phone on and then track you. And where's the outcry about that? I mean, right now the Robert Koch Institute can access uh, cell tower location data of 46 million Germans, which was helpfully provided by Deutsche Telekom, which is, by the way, selling that data. Um, and has been for years, but now they're just giving it the, to the RKI for free. Um, data is uh, pseudonymized, of course, and according to Der Spiegel and uh, Die Zeit and all the all the leading publications in Germany, is totally anonymous and they can't figure out who you are, which is absolute bullshit. I mean, we've discussed this previously. Uh, I mean, episode six is a good primer if you want to just like... If you haven't listened to previous episodes of this podcast, it is very easy to figure out who somebody is just by their location data. And that wasn't enough because for a short time there, our great health minister was discussing that we could just um, subordinate all privacy laws to the Infektionsschutzgesetz, which I discussed in the last episode, um, and then just track everybody. I guess they, they wanted to, you know, giving the basically like in Israel, you know, letting letting the government track everybody just by cell tower location data. I mean, luckily in that case, privacy experts in the government prevailed. They were probably like, Jens, are you fucking insane? Have you read the Grundgesetz? I mean, are you out of your fucking mind? The, the thing that worries me is just that the, 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 um, 
the absence of an outcry about this. I mean, people, like, at least what you read, um, it, you know, so you read the press, you listen, you watch TV, uh, you listen to Angela Merkel, and then you go on Twitter and you read all that, and you think the German population is behind this. The problem is that they're probably not. But because everybody sees this, they're probably they're, everybody's like, you know, you can't go out talk with your neighbor anyway, right? Now. Everybody's like, yeah, okay, it looks like maybe I've got some bad feelings about this, but everybody seems to be okay with this. I don't know. I mean, I talked a little bit about this in the latest episode, how, um, you know, what the Versammlungsfreiheit is in German and, and how, how it's important in a democracy to... Um, to be able to gather and to protest the government and to talk to people, like to even to go to the pump, right? That's important. It's important. It's important social um, mechanism, right? A democracy needs that. And I guess the theory is now that we should to do that online. But I think we're figuring out now that the online platforms we have, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that, are just not. They don't work. Because it's not it's not a fair exchange. It's not a way. It's not private enough. It's not a you know you get shouted down stuff like that. I I just feel like that is not working. But anyway, we need to um, we need to discuss another topic. I think before I um, I end this show. I'm sorry for this going long, but there's just no preventing this. Um, so I had some very interesting uh, email from Fadi, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Fadi Mansour, and he pointed out, uh, I'm going to talk about that in the feedback in detail, but he pointed one important thing out. There's a huge privacy issue, which which is just developing, which we all have to keep an eye on now, which has nothing to do with the what, what I've discussed up to this point with the actual laws and all the... All the, you know, the all the immediate um, fallout from that, but... Um, there's there's something else happening because we are all now um moving a lot more of our social and professional interactions online because we all you know everybody's in the home office now and um with all these you know curfews or whatever um you know we, we're putting all of our stuff our, our thoughts everything online you know all this information and yeah, there are many positive aspects to like increased home office time. I'm not gonna, you know, I've been doing home office for over almost a year and a half now, and I know it is a lot better than going into the office if you have a job where you don't need to do that. Um, but the thing we need to be aware of is like all this communication is now we put that in the digital realm, and it's a lot easier for corporations and the government and everybody to spy on that um, because they've built that infrastructure for the last 20 years. Um, and there are lots of examples now. It's just one, uh, thanks to Niall Donegan, who sent me that link. Uh, links in the show notes. There's a story about uh, Zoom and, you know, teleconferencing, which a lot more people are using now. Um, we're saying, okay, yeah, it's been a lot because of COVID-19. You know, been they've, they've had a huge influx in users. This is from the... Uh, from the Proton Mail blog, so privacy uh, conscious mail provider, um, they're saying, however, new users should be aware of the company's privacy practices. By looking through its privacy policy and some of its support documents, you quickly discover that Zoom allows your boss to track your attention during calls, uh, shares the copious amounts of data it collects with third parties, and has already had a major security vulnerability. Apparently, if you host a call, you can turn on and you 
do screen sharing you could turn on a feature where basically it alerts you if somebody looks away from like there has the app out of focus for 30 seconds and i mean that's a it's not that bad of an example but if they can track that just imagine what what else they're all tracking and i mean zoom is not alone i mean what are people using now microsoft teams slack um it's, it's clear i mean this is all not end-to-end encrypted at least like whatsapp's end-to-end encrypted but uh I, I think we need to watch this now and and now more than ever we have to practice and here it comes again my nice german word datensparsamkeit we have to practice datensparsamkeit we have to be aware of this we have to be aware of what data is collected where we are being tracked how we're being tracked you know who's tracking us and because you know all of this these amazing, oh, how to make the best out of being locked at home articles that the tech press and my glorious colleagues are, are basically pushing out on a minute-by-minute minute basis right now. None of that actually tells you about what tracking is happening and, you know, who you're giving your data with this amazing apps. I think, just think it's something we have to be aware of. And with that, um, just because I've ranted so much and I don't want this to be I feel bad kind of thing. I'm just going to gonna go into the feedback uh, segment here with a little jingle. I got myself a case of Wuhan flu. I don't know what I am supposed to do. Didn't know I had it when I gave it to you. Now we all got the Wuhan flu. <laughs> just cracks me up. Thanks to No Agenda. Uh, I stole that from them. They're great. Um, <laughs> it just, you know, let's let's have a little bit of fun fun about this. So um, I had some some great feedback mentioned mentioned some of it before. So Joe Poser um, says he appreciates all the podcasts at the moment. This was in uh, no disc on our Discord server, um, especially ones not about the coronavirus. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, Joe Poser. This this is not one of those. But as I said, I plan i mean i just i think i just feel like i have to keep on top of this topic because it's moving very quickly and very important but i will push another episode out this week hopefully if i get it done um a lot of work at the moment but i'm planning to have another episode on another topic uh jonathan said he found episode seven very interesting and also says uh, quote keep up the good work which I'm trying to do. And then I had a very interesting mail from Fadi Mansour, who writes a lot, but uh, he gave me a really good uh, boots on the ground report here from the Czech Republic. Uh, as I as I said before, very, very cool. Please keep doing that. Um, if you disagree, um, if, you, if you have your own opinion, if you have information about what's happening in your country, please contact me. Link is on privatecitizen.press. Anyway, Fadi says... Um, this is probably a new vi- virus that we still need to learn what it does and how it behaves. So some countermeasures are definitely definitely needed. But on the other hand, what have we kept for something more dangerous? This is probably the first time in history that almost the whole world has joined in, act- in actions that have important economical consequences. But in this case, it's not something to rejoice about. And things are moving fast. So in my last feedback, I mentioned that our company was experimenting with home office, but now it's mandatory. 
At that time, many schools were closed. I have two second grade girls, but now it's quarantine. All non-essential shops are closed and you shouldn't go out unless for important business. There's even a three million check crowns fine fine of three million check crowns for breaking quarantine that's almost 110,000 euros wow i don't see that as being enforced heavily i didn't see police or anybody enforcing this and even when i went to the supermarket i felt people are most are more relaxed about it yeah but still i mean even that idea um for me being a foreigner here i'm choosing to be more conservative so we've been at home for the last week and only a couple of visits to buy stuff back to the subject matter of the episode the angle of civil liberties and how precedents are now being made with this situation it's important to watch but there's another interesting angle to the privacy topic now that meat space work is almost forbidden everybody in home everybody's in home office and using online tools for collaboration. More and more personal interactions are being exchanged digitally and are subject to spying and analysis. We are literally living in a Big Brother world now, as the percentage of human interactions that are subjects to being spied upon is increasing. Call me paranoid. So in Slashdot tradition, I for one hail out digital overlords. And yes, thank you for that, Fadi. As, as you could tell uh, by incorporating that into the show, thought that was very interesting. Um, I think this is something we should keep an eye on, and I'm imploring, I'm imploring all of you out there, as producers of a, of this podcast, um, to keep an eye on it, and um, you know, just send me send me information if you find something interesting, or just tell me how you like the podcast. I appreciate that too. Uh, as I said, uh, go to privatecitizen.press. It's all the info on there, and you know, links to my contact form and information, which is at at, at blah 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 <laughs> can't talk anymore which oh still have some tea that, that'll help which is at fab.industries slash contact and fab.industries is my blog but you can also just go to private citizen press there's many links there man i've rented so much i forgot all about my tea and this show is it's almost oh god it's way over time i usually aim for an hour but you know i said in the first episode it's probably gonna happen and it has now happened and with that i am although i'm I'm clothing down this show and um i just want you to remind you that you're all producers um you're not listeners you're producers you're helping me especially if you're sending me um information that i can use or just your opinion um but also i'm kind of you know as you know i'm i'm a freelance journalist and i'm kind of need to use my time to make money so i would like to uh just ask you if you if you listen to this and you got some you know interesting information got some stimulating thoughts all of this how much is that worth to you um especially right now we're not going out you're not going for coffee you're not going to the cinema maybe now is the perfect time uh to just you know send me some money so i can keep doing this podcast and keep you updated about what's what's going on everywhere and uh, how bad everything is um if you would like to do that i have a uh, patreon um account there's also a link uh in the show notes you can also uh just i think it's patreon.com slash fabs foxford alpha bravo sierra hotel is it that now i have to check it damn it um yeah it is patreon.com slash fabs um 
yeah but you can also send me uh money through paypal producers at fab industries is the email address if you do so um i appreciate it a lot i really do um it keeps me afloat especially in these trying times this is more important than ever currently i have more work than ever which is why you know i'm kind of i'm kind of hedging my bet and i'm saying i'm i can't completely promise the second episode i want to do it but you know just got have a hell of a lot to do right now and everybody's just basically panicking i can tell like all the people i'm working together with there's no planning going on right now at all for anything um so i really don't know but um right now i'm I'm okay but it's like you know when the economy goes down all of this shit goes down and us freelancers we kind of struggle any you know we, we tend to we tend to struggle for that anyway um please think of the value for value model uh if you if you get some value for this um think about um giving something back to the show and with that i'm gonna stop boring you about it and just gonna mention all the people who've helped produce this show i'm thankful to all of them um i've licensed the wonderful background music for this podcast which i'm going to start playing in as we speak um from raul kabizali songs called acoustic roots um i thank bitemark uh, who is a great hosting provider from the uk bitemark.co.uk and they are providing host hosting for the episode uh, audio files of this podcast and then i'd like to thank everybody who uh, gave me money and supported this podcast so uh either on patreon or paypal that was uh niall donegan michael mullen jensen jonathan m heavy george's warthog dave kaisiers matt jolliman fadi mansoor joe poser rashid alhimai alimaini i'm trying my best if i butcher your name just send me ipa uh, not beer, uh, international pronunciation alphabet, and I'll, I'll try to figure it out. Um, where were we? Rashid Alhimaini, Mark Holland, uh, Steve Hose, Butterbeans, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Dave Umrish, IKN, Vitautas Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, and Tureel. Thanks, all of you. Um, I'll see you for another episode hopefully uh later this week until then stay free stay private and especially in these trying times don't let the law catch you partner